name's Bond. James Bond. What do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. Grow up, 007. <laughs> this never happened to the other fellow. I'm the man. Every penny of it. So you put your money where your mouth is. It's quite a nice little nothing you're almost wearing. I approve. I'll do anything for a woman with a knife. Positively shocking. You get your clothes on, I'll buy you a nice train. <laughs> yes, hello everybody and welcome back to Double Oz 7, a James Bond podcast as we come to you for the last time ever. We've been cancelled. Only kidding, the last time ever before Spectre, Spectre, to talk about the film called Spectre. Uh, in our last of a series of preview episodes, well, we've actually technically only done about Two preview episodes, I think, about Spectre, but whatever, it's our third one. We're excited for it, even though technically people on this episode won't really get to see it for at least another two weeks because neither of us live in the UK. Now, you just mentioned I heard myself say, neither of us, which means that there's only two of us because one of them's left. He's gone. He's died. He got shot, and um, he's currently at the bottom of an ocean. Noah's not here. I'm Ben. And um, I'm joined by Colin. Hello, Colin. Uh, and I'd rather slip my wrist than do another episode with Noah anyway, so <laughs> good that he's gone. <laughs> so not used to the fact that there's just two of us in this episode that I've gone back to introducing you when we generally introduce ourselves. So um, Our guest yes. this week is Colin Hilding. <laughs> Colin, you're the first ever guest we've had on Survivor. Right? <laughs> oh, look, I'm already in habits right now. So I'm saying Survivor. You can't even keep ah, your ah, podcast straight. This is the worst <laughs> episode of Double Oz 7 ever. See what you do, this Noah. This is worse than never say never again. <laughs> you go away, Noah, and it goes to shit, all right? It just goes into <laughs> bad habits. It goes back into podcasts that nobody listens to anymore. We're trying to establish a new face of this uh, series of podcasts, and you go and ruin it. Um, well, we should talk about the film and talk about the anticipation. We've got a little bit to cover, but... Uh, Basically, right now, um, we are looking at some reviews that are coming out for Spectre, and um, so far, so good. If you uh, go by on uh, reviews, currently, at the time of recording this on Rotten Tomatoes, we're looking at a 90% rating, average rating of 7.2 out of 10, but... 90%, 90%, that is pretty high. I've read uh, a few reviews saying it's better than Skyfall. Some saying it's about the same as Skyfall. But a, a lot of things I'm reading are sort of throwing it back to that it's going over a lot of the mythology of Bond and it's going back to a lot of classic Bond elements, which, uh, look, got to say it, going to throw back to one of our previous Spectre uh, episodes, it's making me crap my pants a little bit. Yeah, um, the reviews are really making me excited because I expected this to be a great movie. I didn't expect that the reviews were going to come out almost overwhelmingly saying that it's better than Skyfall. Um, I, I think so far I found only one review that's even slightly negative, And the only thing that says is that it wasn't necessarily as good as Skyfall, but it still was just wildly praising the movie. So, yeah, I've, I've been crapping my pants daily. Um <laughs> Not not necessarily do with James Bond. I mean, there's other things out there like Star Wars, of course. But uh, yeah, I'm 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 full fledged wearing uh, uh, diapers right now, just in anticipation for this movie. 
<laughs> so basically, um, either if you meet Colin, buy him a new pair of pants or just don't go near him um, for a couple of months. At least Christmas, I would say, till after Star Wars has yeah. been released as well. Um, yeah, just a few of the reviews here, sort of the summaries of them. Uh, the Daily Mirror in the UK saying an adventure right up there with the Super Spies best featuring moments of jaw-dropping stunt work. The Sun saying that the film has all the classic elements fans expect, including a jaw-dropping opening sequence. And Variety also singled out the expensively ludicrous opening sequence set in Mexico City Day of the Dead, saying that it ranks among the great 007 intros. Now, I've read a lot about this, Colin. I've read so many things about this opening sequence, and most of them are saying it's one of the best. And I I think I did read one flat out that said it was the best. So, um, this is setting it up quite well, particularly. And I also read... And I I only saw this as a tweet. I don't know if it was from a film reviewer or somebody who's just trolling the internet. They basically said that the gun barrel does return at the start of the film, which, if it does, finally, Daniel Craig era of Bond films has finally seen the light and put it where it should belong. Yeah, yeah, I'm not as down on the whole gun barrel at the end because I think it's it's a really exciting way to end the movie. But it is nice, especially that they're completely embracing the the classic bond style and everything with the villain with specter the organization uh with apparently some jokes back in there again q money penny that they just they put it up front so uh that's going to be a nice twist um the the thing about the pre-title scene that's interesting is that it is just a pre-title sequence and even the movies where it has a connection like you only live twice or world is not enough still those pre-title scenes are almost still viewable just on their own as its own sequence. But in the, one of the final posters for the movie, they have that, you know, the whatever that Mexican parade is, the skull mask that we saw in the trailer. That's the background right behind Daniel Craig, and that's the poster for this movie. So even if it doesn't have, it may have a connection to the whole film, but even if it doesn't, I mean, they really are promoting at least the imagery of that really well. I want to bring up something about the posters actually shortly, which may be something maybe we should really discuss when we get to our Craig era assessments. But the the one line out of all the um, reviews that I sort of going through, and this this really stood out for me. Um, it says here the unveiling of Spectre cues a modern day rewrite of classic Bond mythos, teasing the audience with wry winks to serious affiliated imagery and gimmickry dating back to the Sean Connery era, from white cats to ejector seats. So does this mean, Colin? that when we finally get the reveal that, like, Money Penny's Blofeld or something like that, that <laughs> she is going to be stroking a white cat. I'm not going to say pussy because that would be inappropriate. Um, yeah, that's exactly what it means. <laughs> 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 We're going to be seeing Q uh, with an obsession with gold. The new <laughs> M is uh, going to have uh, uh, an entire world in space. Um <laughs> Uh, Tanner is going to get dental implants and steel. It's all going to come back to the originals. <laughs> this is like, this is exciting. I think that, I mean, this is a case and like, I love it if they ended it sort of like a, you know, revenge of the Sith when we kind of get that reveal of Darth Vader right at the end of the film, mm-hmm. like sort of really setting it up for the, you know, episode four, like let's have that final scene of Spectre, like the chair spin around Austin Powers style or something <laughs> like that. Like he's just, you know, stroking his cat or something like that. You know, that we all jokes aside, like I actually seriously do mean that that would kind of be cool to end it on something 
something like that, really setting up that they've got this link now. Blofeld's there. He's got his cat. You know, <laughs> that's all you need for Blofeld, apparently. But, um, I mean, it's it's kind of encouraging to read these things that they are sort of arcing back a lot to these, you know, classic era of Bond films. Yeah, and along with even the Blofeld thing about having a reveal at the end, and nobody has to worry about spoilers. I mean, we, we, we're not reading any spoilers or anything like that. But I remember talking even, uh, I think it's several episodes in the past, about the theory that I have that they're they're kind of following the formula of the original 60s Bond movies. You know, the first one introduces kind of an associate of Spectre, you know, with Dr. Nolan Lachith. And then the second one, you get more into the organization itself. You know, it was quantum, but obviously they, we know they have some type of ties because of Mr. White. But it's it's more just about the organization as a whole and this plot. And then the third one takes a break from it. You know, with Skyfall, uh, you had Silva and then Goldfinger. And then the fourth one would maybe feature Blofeld, but it would be another villain. So... Mm-hmm. Everybody's talking about, you know, is Christoph Waltz Blofeld? And I'm still holding to the opinion, again, not knowing anything about the finished product of the movie, that it's probably just a tease that they want us to believe that, but that it will end up being somebody else in the end. And he's going to be a much better version of Largo in this movie. I was going to say he's Largo, but um, yeah. not quite. Well, I actually read something in relation to Quantum now. Um, maybe I shouldn't bring it up because it could be considered a spoiler, but I kind of, I read online what Quantum actually is in relation to Spectre. So I I won't bring that up then because that might spoil some people. Uh, I'll tell you after, Colin, if you want to know. Um, but yeah, the one thing, because we've got, as I said, a few things to cover about this in our last real preview one, and we're obviously excited for the film and the reviews are really whetting our appetite. I just wanted to quickly touch, I'm glad you brought up the poster, um, because look, maybe this is me. I don't know. I've been fairly unimpressed by Daniel Craig posters for Bond films. I don't know if, how you feel about this because it generally, each poster is kind of the same. It's just Craig. Like mm-hmm. I, I realize most Bond posters are technically just Bond, but like, you know, you have other elements that really kind of add to the overall feel of the poster. Whereas, well, Casino Royale, we kind of had him looking away with a car in the background, um, with a, you know, a playing card or two. Quantum of Solace, he's, he's there with the, what's her name? The, the very, memorable bond girl in the desert um <laughs> skyfall he's just you know standing there with no sky well, they had the gun the barrel in sky, skyfall too and well, that's true that's true inspector is kind of on that blue background isn't it with him on the suit like yeah. the white suit i guess but i mean like i don't know this is a weird thing to bring up in this preview one but the posters of the craig era i mean we should really touch on this later probably but anyway <laughs> no I, I i do have something to add on that i think that um and again, I don't really love the posters, but I think that there's still something very iconic about the Craig posters where you could just mention the movie and I know the image. Like you said, Craig in the desert with the machine gun, Quantum of Solace. Um, you know, this one, you can immediately remember the skull uh, face in the background, but all the Bond actors kind of have like a distinctive style with their posters. Um Maybe there was a little bit of with the, the Connery and Moors, there was a little bit more of a delay where the first couple of Moors were just like the Connerys. But even if you look at Timothy Dalton, I mean, I think his posters, I'm going to be taking a lot of shots at Timothy Dalton in the next couple of weeks, but <laughs> his posters were very similar to this. It was just sort of focused on him for the two that he had. But you go back to the Pierce Brosnans, and they had a very flashy style about him. He usually included as many characters from the movie as possible. And Hmm. very graphically intense and the craigs they just have that different look it really is about daniel craig in the posters but the images are still striking enough even just in the way they're staged that i think they're memorable 
Um, I don't know if, uh, again, really time will tell if it's that memorable. I don't know if Spectres is going to be as memorable as the first three, but I still think it's interesting. I mean, you can immediately remember the, the blue background as being something a little bit different. The fact that Craig is posing you know, in a classic way and the, the skull background with the costume from the opening sequence, it's still a great poster. I feel the Spectre and Skyfall one are very similar, like, um, you know, minus the gun barrel, of course. But mm-hmm. um, I guess there was a lot of talk, wasn't there, when they first released that teaser shot of uh, Craig in that kind of with a gun holster and um, sort of what he was wearing. Um, we'll put it up on, as the image with our episode graphic for this one. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's all about the age of the internet now where people see one image and they just debate to the heart's content about it and rip things a bits and all that sort of stuff. And speaking of ripping things a bit, since we last spoke about Spectre, we uh, spent, what, two hours talking about one trailer. They released the final trailer and then we kind of got questioned, like, why didn't you do a, another one? Well, actually, Catherine, not like everybody, like well, yeah. one of our two <laughs> listeners. Um, and I guess really to sort of answer that question, there wasn't a whole lot of new stuff in the the final trailer that we hadn't really discussed. I mean, we got a, a little bit more Waltz versus Bond um, in that one. We got a few scenes. We got this kind of scene now, which they've played a lot, but uh, when he's running on the roof and the thing collapses on top and he collapses mm-hmm. down into the hole, which looks amazing. Um, we got a little bit more of the shot of the helicopter. Um, and yeah, like I, I felt compared to how we were crapping our pants over the the last trailer this one really didn't reveal a whole lot more than kind of what we hadn't seen before yeah and and to Catherine, why we didn't do an episode on it is because like you said it's it's just sort of an expanded version you can't even call it an expanded version it's the same trailer we saw before with a few new things in it but it's also only half the length um and that's not to say there's anything wrong with the trailer i mean it, it 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 has those great moments that the stunt and I, I don't know how much of it was a real stunt with the building collapse and then the helicopter flip you know those are very memorable things but other than that i think that it was more kind of just a bonus teaser and it was very focused on just bond and um uh what's oberhauser i keep wanting to call him blofeld i keep wanting to call him Walt. <laughs> we need to learn his name bond and oberhauser <laughs> So it's almost more like I felt it was more like a teaser trailer. This could have been the second teaser trailer. And then the other one was the full trailer for the movie. Mm. Uh, It still has me excited, especially the fact that this is showing more of the action. The first two trailers weren't that heavy on action. Uh, It was more about the mood, especially with the the teaser trailer was just about setting mood. And so we kind of have the two parts here. We have a lot of the Oberhauser and Bond stuff. And then we have a lot of the, the stunts. And the action in this, so it gives you a better idea of what the movie's going to be about. It's not going to be a horror film like the teaser trailer <laughs> kind of set it up as. Yeah, and it's a very good point actually because um, it was very teaserish. Um, but I, I, I loved the the Oberhauser Bond sequence there when he's what like, oh, I thought you came here to die, or no, I came here to kill you, or whatever it was specifically. Uh, clearly, tell I've watched a lot, but um, it's <laughs> you know I, I like that setup, and I, I like a good kind of. Um, you know, a film where they have these, uh, you know, battles and moments and things like that. It wasn't a battle, but, you know, setting up the characters really sort of uh, hating on each other. And look, as much as kind of when we get to the Craig ones, um, I'll have negative things to say about them in the overall scheme of Bond films. It's, again, not to take away from the fact that I don't like the films. I do like the films. And I particularly like how they set them up with Craig and sort of the sequences when he comes face to face with a villain. Um, and it's kind of, it's tense a lot of the time without music and it's just silent. 
And I love that mm-hmm. kind of style of film when you have that element. Like, I love a good um, tense conversation in a film. And it kind of looks like we'll have a lot of that between these two. Because I guess how these Craig films are now, they're done in a more, I don't know, intelligent way. And that's not to take away from the other Bond movies to say they were dumb. But, you know, a more serious tone, I guess, is probably the more correct way of portraying that. And, um, you know, I think they're setting this up beautifully that we'll see a lot of that again in this film as well. Yeah, and... You mentioned tense and silence, and I think that's a, a good transition here to talk about the, the writings on the wall music video. Uh, <laughs> we covered the song, and we had to talk about the music video. And uh, I'm interested to hear what your opinion is first, if you did watch it, because I have a couple of things to say on it. But did you like it at all? Did you even get a chance to see it? Mm, yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. Um, look, to be honest with you, they didn't really do a whole lot of flair about the film clip, I felt, because, you know, when the song came out it was a lot of publicity but i kind of just stumbled across the film clip like oh they've released a film clip to it now Mm -hmm. um and yeah i sort of flicked through a lot of the um the music channels uh here as well and you know randomly it will be on like on one of these afternoon chart shows and it's yeah i mean the film clip is boring (laughs) it kind of suits the song i mean you know it's sam smith walking around with you know pylons and bricks and shit and then he's in what like a night field and it's set like this is the contrast between the song and the film and this is where i'm waiting for them to tie in with each other because the trailers are all about action bond you know of course they are it's bond Mm -hmm. but the film clip portrays it like we're watching a romance a romantic movie (laughs) like it's i mean that's the style of the song it is but we get like these scenes of like bond and and, um, uh, yeah, Blue is the Warmest Colour Girl. Um, <laughs> we're such good podcast hosts. We remember the name. Leah Sadu, Madeline Swan. There we go. Um, and, you know, there's that one one that always, like, kind of annoys the shit out of me when she's, like, on the bed and there's, like, that curtain thing and she's kind of, like, being all cute and flirty. Fair enough. She's hot. She can do that. Yeah. And then Bond's kind of got that look on his face, like, oh, you cheeky little girl, I'm going to spank your bottom. Like, this is Bond. <laughs> like, it, you know, he should be, like... You know, handing her a face washer, like when she's asking for a towel or like, you know, oh, I've only had, you know, I've never had Christmas in Turkey. Like not, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey style. (laughs) I don't think we need to go back to Christmas in Turkey. (laughs) Oh, we always need to go back to Christmas in Turkey. I could have brought up like, put it in. No, I don't want to put it in again. Oh, but it felt so good. Um, That was a Donut Day reference. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It's, It's... I don't. I don't get the the the, com- the completely different ways of portraying the film. I guess that's what I'm trying to say here. You know, we've got action, blow up in your face trailer, and bring your girlfriend along to the film because Craig's gonna pork the chick from Blue Is the Warmest Color in a romantic way. Well, you'll you'll probably never hear me give any praise to Madonna in any other way, but the Die Another Day video really hit it a lot better than this one did because it kind of had a unique concept and it did the same thing where they're they're trying to work the movie into the performance of the artist here it's just sam smith is standing in locations that look like they could match the movie Hmm. you're mentioning how there is the one scene with them in the bed i think that might have been the only scene from the movie in here because i swear as i was watching this every single shot from the movie was just a close-up shot of somebody's expression. Hmm. It wasn't them talking. It wasn't them doing anything. It's like they said, let's find as many close-up shots as we can find, even if they have to be outtakes, and just show the close-up shot of somebody's face. Like, there's no expression, no emotion, nothing. 
the video is as boring as the song is to watch. Uh, and I don't want to just keep, you know, criticizing writings on the wall, but you're right. The, the movie itself has action and it has story, it has mystery. The trailers we talked about really led us to believe that there's a lot of mystery in this movie and it's kind of tense and everything. And even if the song doesn't completely match the whole movie there i can imagine there's still ways to show things other than just a close-up shot of somebody's face that's all we got in this it was so disappointing you would think even in a bad song like die another day they had a kind of cool video so this was a big letdown i think a video that accompanies a bond film like they either go two ways with it like you know the the, the singer or the band is you know trying to make themselves as bondy as they possibly can or you know, they, they try and just, you know, incorporate bits of the film, or they go ahead and do things completely different. Like, yeah, Madonna went completely different, but still incorporated elements. The the film clip for The World Is Not Enough is, I mean, it's got real no references to Bonded in a way, but it's still kind of got an espionage feel to it with what sort of Shirley Manson does and all that sort of stuff with the band. But, yeah, it's it's just... It's just so interesting. And, like, the one thing that I was glad with reading these reviews was that not once did we get a, oh, it had a real romantic tone to it. And, like, you know, like, the the love story between Bond and Madeline was something, like, I didn't see one review that mentioned the connection between those two. So this is where this whole film clip and the way this song has been released is just, it's throwing me off with it. But, um... I mean, since we've talked about it, it's we should mention it has gone on to become the very first James Bond song to make it to number one in the UK. So go Sam Smith, well done, you've broken a record. But outside- can we just stop on that for a second? Do you have a way to look up the charts and see what it's beating? Uh, well, I think it only was there for one week. It knocked off Justin Bieber, I believe. And then it went back to like number two or three. So it, I believe it only went to number one for a week. Um, which again, you can technically count. It went to number one. So good on you, Sam Smith. <laughs> but just, I mean, outside of the UK though, let's, let's be honest here. It's gone quite shit. <laughs> it, yeah. it went to number one in Scotland. Yay. Uh, number two in Hungary, number three in Finland and Luxembourg. And besides a lot of these other countries, let's go to the plates that really matter. No offence, Luxembourg. Um, US, it went to number 71. Canada, 43. Australia, only 44. Japan, 78. Slovakia, number 48. Um, and compare that to Skyfall, where they went to number one in at least, I think, 20 countries by the looks of this. Um, in Canada, Sky Skyfall went to three. Um, it went in Australia to number five. In the US, it went to number eight. Um, and then previously, the highest charting one. Yes, I'm going to bring up Die Another Day. But um, you know, Die Another Day went to number eight in the U- US, number one in Canada. <laughs> Sucked in, Colin. Uh, number three in the UK. Um, so we've kind of gone into this trend again, where the song doesn't do a whole lot well and I, th- I think they like to aim for the song to do very well and i guess you have this huge peak with skyfall and then bang we're back down to you know uh <laughs> another way to die levels i guess yeah the um the most surprising thing is that it didn't do better in slovakia because i heard sam smith <laughs> is big there uh, <laughs> as is james bond <laughs> yes. i i have a lot of theories about why the song did hit number one you could say lack of competition all you want but 
they really did tease this well. Uh, that's the one thing that you can give them. The, the tease for the song was probably better than they've done before because all past ones, they've announced it well ahead of time. Who's going to be doing it? So you people have a chance to kind of digest, oh, well, what will a Madonna Bond song sound like? What will a you know, White Stripes Alicia Keys song sound like? Uh, with this, they didn't even announce him as the artist until, what, only a few weeks before? And there was a, a lot of media that was put out there to create this anticipation. Obviously, it didn't necessarily work everywhere. I would assume in the UK, Bond is going to be bigger than anywhere else. And mm. that could have a lot to do even with the promotion of the movie. So I think this is going to be one of those things that when people look back on it, you know, years from now, they're going to be like, how did that hit number one in the UK? Um, and really, the, the context will be lost that it was very brilliantly teased. I mean, we were sitting there streaming it live when they were announcing it, you know, whereas with any other song, I would have been content to just wait until, you know, I could see it on YouTube or uh, hear it on the radio. With this, they created a tease that was very compelling. It's a very good point you make. And it's just so fascinating to think that, you know, the great songs that we've had in James Bond, that this is the first one in the UK to go to number one. At least we can say, like, you know, A View to a Kill was the first in the US. Like, you know, you can stomach that. Um, whereas this, you know, like, uh, uh, and yeah, to confirm, it did replace What Do You Mean by Justin Bieber, uh, for one week. And then Justin Bieber, What Do You Mean, returned to number one the week after. So, which I've never heard that song, but I would love to hear it played over the opening credits of Spectre. <laughs> Sorry due to my disappointment with writings on the wall. Wow. A Canadian who hasn't even heard his own countryman's number one hit. Um, it's a, uh, look, I'll admit it's it. Justin I'll, Bieber. I mean... I nobody, like the song, but I like it. Die Another Day, so judge me, whatever. Wait a second, did you just say you like the Justin Bieber song? Yeah, I'm not ashamed to admit it. Uh, you can hear my voice cracking, you're not ashamed to admit it. <laughs> I get a little bit emotional when we talk about Justin Bieber. <laughs> uh, <laughs> judge me all you want, people, alright? <laughs> um, it's on my playlist right after Die Another Day, so whatever. Um, now, we've obviously had a few interviews and everything in the lead-up, a lot of promotion, promotionally stuff. That's not even a word, but we'll go with that. Um, I think the key things, really, to take out of a lot of these interviews is Mr. Craig. <laughs> He's said a few things uh, in the press in the lead-up to uh, this being released. Uh, one most notable one is that he said he would rather break this glass, obviously, in an interview, and slit my wrists when somebody asked him if he would sign up for the role of James Bond again. Now, this is, you know, the most notable thing he said, really, and he's sort of been a very hot and cold in one interview. He's all like, oh, yeah, no, you know, this is great. I love playing Bond. Let's get to it again. And others, he's talking about, um, you know, self-harm um, at the end of the interview. Now, I know you watched the Jonathan Ross special in the interview with him, yeah. and sort of Jonathan Ross brings up, like, oh, you signed on for another one, haven't you? And he was very coy on that still. He was just, you know... What's your take on all this? Like, I, I personally I personally feel this is it. I don't think he's going to come on for another one. Like, I don't know. There's just something there in it that I feel like. I know kind of the argument's been there that at the end of, I think, Skyfall, he wasn't really too keen on it again. But I don't know. Like, I think even if he wants to come... Like, those comments are pretty harsh things to say. Joking or not, it got a very big run in the press. And if you've got, you know, headlines... Daniel Craig, I would rather slit my wrists again than playing James Bond. Out of context or not, that's still pretty damning to the brand of James Bond. 
Uh, I think it's a guarantee he's coming back. Uh, I have two theories on what these comments are about, and I think both of them lead to him coming back. The first is Daniel Craig. He is signed on for another movie, but just because like people misunderstand that just because you're contracted for a certain amount in a franchise, that doesn't mean that there still aren't negotiations. And his salary could very well be the thing that's negotiated in the next one. Him saying this gives them reason to give him more money. So uh, Craig could be doing this just to get more money out of it. I guarantee with that, he's still coming back. Second thing is, this could just be something that you know even Eon Productions and MGM, are they want him to put on because it's creating a lot of buzz. And the more that people think this could be Daniel Craig's last movie, the more they rush out to the theater. The reason I would lean more towards that as being the fact is because we have him making these comments about I'd rather slit my wrists than play Bond again. Uh, but then we have like the, you might as well call it the ITV special with Jonathan Ross, the official making of Bond that was, that's supposed to set up this movie. And guaranteed they had uh, authority over what gets put on there. And the fact that Craig is teasing even in that, like they're almost joking around about it where, you know, Ross is saying, yeah, you did uh, say you were contracted, right? And Daniel Craig's like, did I? And he's sort of smiling. It was very playful. And that's pretty much what's officially released about this movie. And I don't see any way that they would allow uh, any type of doubt to be in there unless it was kind of intentional. And, and it is creating a lot of suspense. And people are starting to wonder, is this the last time we're going to see Daniel Craig? I would almost guarantee that maybe this movie comes out over the weekend, you know, the North American releases obviously about two weeks later, but this comes out over the weekend North America on November 6th. I would almost guarantee that November 8th or November 9th, they confirm Daniel Craig is signed on for James Bond 25. Interesting theory. I like it. On that though, did we not have pretty much confirmation that Brosnan was coming back after Die Another Day and that Dalton was coming back after License to Kill? So, I mean, does that still mean anything though? I mean, there still is that possibility, surely, even if they do that, that, um, you know, he might not be in the next film. Well, I mean, with Dalton, it was a different story because of legal battles where they just, they would have done the movie if they had gotten it off the ground in any time shorter than six years. Uh, with Brosnan, I think, if I remember right, he did say he would be willing to play Bond again, but I think it was pretty much widely known that the fourth was his final contracted movie and that if he did another one, it would kind of be a new contract. And we do have these quotes out there, which Daniel Craig, again, he's playing coy about it. Uh, he's kind of joking around, but we do have many quotes saying that he is contracted for another one. Um, plus, I would assume any actor who's playing an iconic role, they want to hit the milestones. You know, I, I'm a big fan. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I'm a big fan of the TV show Doctor Who. And the guy who was the last doctor on Doctor Who, he wanted to stay with the show long enough so he could hit the 50th anniversary of the show. And obviously Craig was there for the 50th anniversary, but I would think just as big of a milestone is to be there for the 25th movie. Hmm. So I would I would think Daniel Craig, even if he says, I'd rather slit my wrist, the guy clearly still enjoys playing Bond. And I also heard him in an interview where he was saying that, at, well, I think it was the same one, the Jonathan Ross one, where he said, after every Bond movie, he says, I, I'm tired of playing Bond. And that's probably just after, you know, spending three to six months in one character, you want to move on no matter what it is. So again, I, I almost guarantee if they're doing a, tw a big deal for the 25th Bond movie, Craig will want to be part of that. Another thing quickly with it too is that, I mean, the thing that Daniel Craig, I guess, pulls off very well is that, I mean, he's 47. He does not look 47. He, you know, looks a lot younger mm -hmm. than that. 
um, which, you know, would, you know, you'd say two, three years till the next one comes out, maybe even four. So he's going to be, you know, 49.50 by the time the next one comes out. I mean, we haven't had a bond that old since Roger Moore. Um, you know, each of, yeah. you know, Dalton, Brosnan, even Connery, they're all in their 40s when they did their last film, not obviously including that rubbish Never Say Never Again. So, I mean, is that a detractor, do you feel, or just, as I said, because he is so young looking that age really doesn't play a part in this? It was a detractor in the past. People always made a big deal about the age. And again, I remember after Die Another Day, and this was when it was still early and people were like, Die Another Day was a great movie. But there were a lot of complaints from people saying, yeah, but if Pierce Brosnan does another one, he'll be in his 50s. And, you know, you shouldn't be playing Bond in your 50s. But like, look back to Die Another Day. Pierce Brosnan looked younger in Die Another Day than almost any of the Bonds did when they were in their late 30s. Mm. So there was a time where the age did determine you shouldn't play Bond. And I, I, in a way, I feel like uh, we were kind of robbed of being able to see another Pierce Brosnan just because there was a lot of negativity about his age. I'm pretty sure that's changed now um, because I don't really hear anybody talking about Daniel Craig's age. They're playing it up more in the movies, not necessarily with the age, but with the fact that, you know, in Skyfall, he's very out of shape and that he's, kind of getting on there he's been doing this too long and it's getting to him uh they're playing it up in the series more than people are talking about it outside uh, i would have no problem with him playing it until he's 60 if he still looked young enough to play the part and look believable you know as we're going through the roger moore movies you kind of disagreed a few times but <laughs> Noah and i were both saying even as recent as octopussy when moore was still in his 50s and not even doing any of his stunts basically that he still looked uh, like he could pull off the stunts. It's just about whether you look like you're physically capable of doing what the character is doing. And until he reaches Roger Moore or Sean Connery levels of his age and his face, um, I don't think it's really going to become an issue. When you talk about milestones, um, if he comes back for a fifth one, of course, he'll, he'll pass Brosnan in terms of films done. And then it, that would only put in them what one film behind Connery on official films, wouldn't it? So. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's kind of extraordinary to think about those numbers and then, you know, one more after that. Hello, Roger. Um, so The look- real thing, this is what I want to get an opinion on from you, is we talked, I think, in the previous one a, a lot about, you know, should Skyfall have been the end of Craig just because of how the story is told? With Spectre, I think they really want to tell a story arc with at least this Bond, and that's something they could do going forward where every Bond sort of has their own story arc. And that's kind of the way that Doctor Who does it as well. Uh, it's a different scenario because it's a guy literally changing his face, so you have an explanation. But where they give them an era and they have their own storylines, and when that concludes, a new guy comes in. Do you think if Spectre ends on any type of cliffhanger, like this is the real Blofeld or here's the cat or whatever that we can pretty much consider that a guarantee Craig is coming back just in terms of you're not going to replace an actor if the story is not completed? Um, yes and no, because yes, I think in the way that films work now with franchises being such a big part of cinema that I think in this day and age, audiences wouldn't necessarily accept it too well um, if all of a sudden you bring in you know, a different actor to replace him when you've got such an element of that in it. Um, 
you know, I mean, you, you think back to, say, like a Harry Potter film. I remember when they were filming all those and, you know, there was a lot of talk, you know, halfway through, will Daniel Radcliffe continue? Will they come and get another Harry Potter? Would we have stomached those if, you know, Daniel Radcliffe didn't come back as, as Harry Potter? You know, the Marvel, you know, movies, they do it so well now with all that. So I think kind of in this day and age, yes, it probably does. But, of course, then you've got to obviously throw back to, you know, and on Her Majesty's Secret Service on a huge cliffhanger that they ended that on. Um, you know, well, not the cliffhanger necessarily, but obviously the way that ended. Um, and we sort of talked about that, didn't we? That, um, you know, had Lazenby come back again for Diamonds Are Forever, we no doubt would have had a completely different film. So, you know, it's I, I, I would probably steer more to the fact that, yes, I think it would be a more of a guarantee, as I said, just on how it films, but it wouldn't be completely out of the realms of possibility that they could switch it up and say, hey, here's Idris Elbra, or, you know, like yeah. something, here's Dylan Lewis or something like that. So, yeah, I don't know. What, what, what do you what Two do you other think? guys who will be 50 when they start playing the role, <laughs> let's just say that. If that ever happens, yes. people need to remember that. Well, actually, I just, um, just really quickly, I read a very interesting article the other day saying that Hugh Jackman might not necessarily be completely out of contention for Bond still. So that was a bit weird. So I thought he would be well and truly past Bond now. Yeah, well, with the Hugh Jackman, just again, on a side note, he was approached apparently for Casino Royale, and I remember when there were a lot of rumors about him, and he did come out recently and say that he turned Casino Royale down at the time, but if he had a chance now, he would do it. Mm. Um, personally, I think that he looks, I mean, he looks too old to be Wolverine right now. Wolverine's supposed to be kind of the same like, age as Daniel Craig anyway, so. Yeah, and I think he looks older. Um, but uh, yeah, on, on as far as, whether they could continue this franchise. I mean, obviously you can continue any franchise without them, but I think that especially considering the, the series they originally did those first sixties uh, movies, and you could include diamonds are forever in there. Cause it was still part of the story arc. I think one of the reasons why honor majesty secret service and diamonds are forever don't really work for a lot of people. And honor majesty secret service has become over the years, a very popular movie. But even if you go back originally, people weren't thrilled by it. It's because you did replace the actor, and I don't think anybody would doubt that if Sean Connery was in the exact same movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and even he gave the same performance as Lazenby, that would have instantly been considered the from Russia with Leopard Goldfinger, the one that's always the go-to for the greatest Bond movie. And I think the fact that that happened originally, where they had to change actors for Her Majesty's Secret Service, they had to change it for Diamonds of Forever, and both of those movies kind of went unnoticed compared to the first five movies. that they want to avoid that again. So I, I really think that they've clearly set this up to tell a story, and maybe the fifth one will be the final part of that. Damien Lewis, I should say, not Dylan Lewis. Dylan Lewis is an Australian guy that I always get confused. Um, he's So he's four, three years younger than Craig. So, I mean, that still makes him 44 at the moment. And, God, how did the world react when we had a blonde bond? bond? How did we react with a Ranger bond? Like, <laughs> well, and... Well, like, again, I, it really bugs me every time we hear these rumors about the actors because they're picking actors that they're like, oh, if they were making Spectre right now as the fourth film in their series, it would make sense. But you're not going to sign any actor who's not signing on for at least three movies. That means including, you know, pre-production time and everything, six years. You're not going to sign a guy who's going to be well into his 50s by the time their series is over. They're yeah. going to want somebody young long term. These guys are so out of it, and I don't even know how their names come up. I just I just love how, you know, they just bring up, oh, this British guy who's slightly attractive and in his late 30s or 40s, he mm-hmm. could be Bond. 
<laughs> you know, well, it could be worse. It could be like when they were replacing Pierce Brosnan, and there was a long time uh, where the first rumor that came out was Matthew Perry from Friends <laughs> as the first American Bond. I think and I remember, I remember people that. Took it very seriously too. Yes. Could I be any more Bond? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that would really work. <laughs> Uh, well, we're gonna do a we'll do a future episode on kind of who will be James Bond next, and I mean that yeah. would be a very fun episode, no doubt. Um, I say bring back Pierce, but no, that won't ever happen. <laughs> before uh, before we move on, we could just talk a little bit more about the the ITV special with Jonathan mm. Ross. Yeah, um, there were a lot of good interviews in there. Uh, I, I love that we got to hear from uh, Naomi Harris in it, and uh, Christoph Waltz was just on fire. Like that's a yes. guy I feel like. He's really, even in interviews, just embodying his character. It, 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 I don't know. Do you, you Have you seen the original Karate Kid movie from the 80s? I have not, no. Okay. Well, in the original Karate Kid movie from the 80s, the bully, the villain, his name was Johnny. And in recent years, the actor who played him uh, said that you know, the reason that he was so good at being just this weaselly bu- villain was because he went into it pretending he was the good guy. So he would be like, yeah, you know, this this kid deserves to be bullied because he did this and this and this, you know, and he just got in that mindset. And I really believe that Christoph Waltz is that guy. Like They, they even asked him the question, uh, would the world be better with a specter running it? And he's just like, yes, absolutely. I mean, he's living this character even off screen. I don't think I've ever seen an actor who seemed to enjoy the role more than him. It's so fascinating with Christoph because, you know, when people ask you that question, like, who are three people you'd like to have over for dinner or something like that. Like he would be, he's just such a fascinating individual. Like he, I mean, I've, I've admittedly only seen him probably in like a couple of films. Like, you know, obviously seen in glorious bastards. I haven't sadly seen the Muppets movie, so I I probably need to see that, but he's just, or not. It wasn't very good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I won't see it then, but like, I don't know. He just comes across as one of these people that you just, you're fascinated by. And he seems really like the perfect bond villain in terms of just the actor he is. And, you know, I mean, there are just some of those actors out there that just can can really pull that off. And I guess, again, um, you know, we'll talk about a lot of this when we get to the Craig films, but I guess one thing that the Craig era does well is that they, they go out of their way, I guess, to cast sort of well-known actors, but well-known actors that aren't really just a name only, like, you know, Halle Berry. Like, I like Halle Berry, but, you know, admittedly, she's been in some great films, but she's also been in some real stinkers too. She's really more of a name and a brand rather than this, you know, iconic classic actor. Whereas, you know... Catwoman. Yeah. (laughs) Flintstones. Um, (laughs) You know, there's all of those. Whereas, like, you know, Christoph Waltz, I mean, he's a two-time Oscar winner, for God's sake. You can't take that away from him. Um, You know, I mean, it's just... There's just... That speaks volumes. And there's just some actors out there that just are so good in that aspect. And that's what the Craig era has done so well, because they get those ones. And that's, I guess, what they've done well enough with the Bond franchise now that they've turned it from, you know, man's going to get a giant laser and destroy the world to actual kind of of, you know, serious enough film that gives it a bit of credibility. So, yeah, I'm going to be so fascinated to see how this turns out with him in it because, yes, you're absolutely right. The Jonathan Ross special, him, and he's, he's almost like a big kid sometimes, just how he's a bit playful with it all. Like, mm-hmm. you just, you just I, I reckon as an interviewer, it would be kind of hard to read him in one aspect, but also I think he would give you a, a great deal. Like, I had the pleasure of interviewing Willem Dafoe for about two or three minutes, and... 
in that short amount of time, he was somebody who you can just feel would be great to actually sit down and have a conversation with because he seemed like a very intelligent person who, you know, was really into kind of what he does and, you know, doesn't do it for something like the fame or things like that. So, you know, it's... Did it's, he do the Green Goblin laugh for you? No, he didn't. But the, funnily enough, a person on the red carpet next to me brought a Green Goblin mask and got him to sign it. And Willem Dafoe fucking loved it. He, like, he's, oh, like nice. he was there talking to this guy for ages. And he's like, wow, this is incredible. You know, I've never seen one of these before outside. Like, And, you know, this guy was just... It was just amazing to kind of see how he engaged with this guy who brought a Green Goblin mask for him to sign. But, um... Yeah, anyways, bring on Christoph Waltz. I love. I want to watch more interviews with him right now. Yeah, I, I also, the only other thing, I mean, the interviews were great. You know, they had Monica Bellucci in there and everything, the Daniel Craig one. Jonathan Ross really did a good job with all those interviews. Um, the only thing that really behind the scenes I think we saw that we didn't get a lot of before, and they showed a lot about the DB10 car, but I saw the, the, the Q-Lab scene. They had the behind the scenes filming the Q-Lab scene, and it looks like a proper Q-Lab scene. Mm. I think so for anybody who was disappointed with, bond meeting q in an art gallery and him handing him a pocket-sized radio uh it looks like from what i can tell we're going to get a proper q lab scene this time complete with bond playing around with the stuff you know as q gets a little bit ticked off at him Hmm. yeah it's it's fascinating and like I'm I'm sort of not as hating on Ben Wishaw as Noah does, but, you know, I'm sort of indifferent on him, I think, as I've gone over it. But, you know, I think mm-hmm. that's going to be a lot of fun to kind of see that. And I sort of, in some of the reviews, they were putting a few quotes in there and kind of like the um, interaction between Bond and Q, which will look quite funny. So, yeah, and it's it was... I enjoyed kind of in this Jonathan Ross special too, like the, the interaction with the actresses as well. Like, obviously, we got a nice little interview with Monica Bellucci. And again, I just want to say, <laughs> Louise was in the room with me when she was on the screen and i said she's 50 and she's like she's not 50 like yeah Mon- monica Bellucci's lying about her age she's not 50 like and she- yet <laughs> she's constantly bringing up her age she's the one who's bringing like when she's like yeah sam mendes called me and said do you want to be in the next bond movie i'm like what am i replacing judy dench <laughs> she's <laughs> yes. fully aware of her age <laughs> she she looks stunning like tell me what you're eating monica because i want to eat that for the rest of my life if i'm going to look that good when i'm 50 <laughs> Um, and then, of course, we had the little bit there with Leia Sadu, who um, was wearing Ugg boots. Um, so, yeah. And she, she's 30. Like, throwback to her. She does not look that old. Well, not that 30's old, but, like, she does not look that age. Can I point that out as well? <laughs> she's 30 years old. <laughs> I I'm can't gonna, believe her heart's still beating. <laughs> I'm going to be that age in 18 months, so I can't really talk. <laughs> Welcome to your 30s, Ben. You're going to be dead soon. <laughs> Um, but yeah, if people haven't seen it, get it. It's it's a, it's a quite fun, and I haven't really seen too much of Jonathan Ross, but um, he reminds me of Kripke from Bloody Big Bang Theory. Can't say his eyes, his eyes is W's. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, I didn't notice that about him. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, if anybody really wants it, like I, I have not seen Blue is the Lesbian Color like Ben has sixteen times. I actually uh, watched it the other day, funnily enough. So. Hmm. Just in anticipation of all of her lesbian scenes with the Bond. She has blue hair in the movie, all right? So, And not just on her head. Oh, so the title does make sense. Um, <laughs> it's a romantic but, lesbian love story, Colin, okay? That should sell it to you with graphic female sex scenes in it, okay? so Well, I'm, I'm going to do uh, a job trying to sell a movie without graphic female sex scenes in it. But if anybody really wants to see what she's like... Um, I did mention before she was in not the most recent Mission Impossible movie, Mission Impossible 4 Ghost Protocol, and she played 
kind of the villainous character. So she was more of the Fiona Volpe in that one. And she was absolutely fantastic in that movie. Uh, we really haven't seen a lot of her. We've seen a few clips with her in the trailer, but we don't, I would say outside of Daniel Craig, we don't really have any clue what most of the characters are going to be like, or even the performances are going to like, but it is exciting to see even in that interview. Like she has a lot of personality. You can yeah. tell even in mission impossible. She has a lot of personality. I'm assuming blue is the lesbian room. She has, you know, some personality in that too. Well, it's, it's deep. It's, it's, it's kind of, I mean, compared to what I've seen her in interviews and everything, and I mean, it's the only film I've seen her in is Blue is the warmest colour, but I mean, she's kind of, you know, to put it in perspective, you know, you've kind of got like the good girl at school who's, you know, got a boyfriend and all that sort of stuff, and she meets kind of like this rebellious, like, you know, girl who, you know, opens her to explore her sexuality, you know, you know how, you know the drill, Colin. Um, and, you know, Leia yeah, Seydoux's... It happened to me when I was a teenager, too. <laughs> when I went through my lesbian phase, it was just, it was... Exactly. It was... Our lesbian phases are famous. <laughs> Very similar. But, you know, Leia Seydoux is kind of like, you know, the, the alternative girl in that film who, you know, gets with the good girl. Whatever. It's great to see it. But, um, yeah, yeah uh, she and I read I read a um, a written interview kind of uh, with her and it was sort of funny. The interviewer sort of was saying that, you know, I went into the, the interview and I sort of mentioned something like, oh, you know, how is it to be the latest Bond girl? And Leia Seydoux replies, do you mean how is it to be a female in a Bond film, you know, exploring her, you know, obviously trying to like say it's not just a stereotype. And then kind of like this interview must have been like, oh, shit, I've like offended her. And she apparently just bursts out laughing. And she's like, I'm only kidding. <laughs> like, yeah, apparently just uh, threw I, I noticed... <laughs> Even with Jonathan Ross, he, he made a very conscious effort. I don't remember if it was in the interview with her or with Bellucci, where he says, you know, as the latest Bond woman, uh, he almost paused for a second when he said that. So yeah. maybe that interview circulated around and people are getting paranoid. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. She just seems a bit playful. One thing I was a bit disappointed um, in the, the uh, Jonathan Ross special, we didn't see any Dave Batista, didn't see any Mr. Hinks. We're not seeing a whole lot around yeah. the Mr. Hinks character, are we? Yeah, and they, meant, they made a point to mention him about that somebody they're as excited about as they are the villain. But we really saw nothing. Um, I, I kind of like it that way. I I saw Guardians of the Galaxy, and I know a lot of people were like, you know, Dave Bautista was so good in that. I really thought he was terrible in Guardians of the Galaxy. Outside of a couple of funny lines, which only were funny because of how he delivered them, based on the fact that he really couldn't act as, at all. Um, I didn't really like him at all. I think that he works as a physical henchman, though. So uh, I kind of like the idea that we haven't seen a lot of him because if he is as good, even as, based on the character, because I remember when, when he was cast, it wasn't like his performance was even filmed yet. When he was cast, they were already pumping up this character as like a classic henchman. So more mystery, the better for that. Um, I, I'd like to go into it and just be surprised if he, that's, if he is as good as everybody's saying. And no Denby either, so um, <laughs> do we not care about Denby anymore? <laughs> well, again, that's another thing where maybe they're trying to keep some mystery. You know, uh, we're we're coming on a week here where the new Star Wars trailer was announced, and everybody's talking about how no Luke Skywalker in that, yeah. and is there a reason why? And it, it is just about mystery. And to most people everywhere else in the world, you know, Andrew Scott is Denby and Spectre. <laughs> they're going to be like, ooh, um, in in the UK the guy who plays Moriarty on Sherlock as a Bond character, regardless of what it is, is a big deal. So maybe again, there, there's some type of, we talked about some theories, the mystery about his character uh, in past episodes, or I can't remember if that was on or off air. So if, if you go back to the past episodes, we didn't say that we're not making it up. Um, <laughs> we talk outside but, of these episodes. We don't just like come on air and go, hi, Colin, how's your day been? All right, let's hit record. Like we, we have yeah. conversations. 
none of us met each other or even spoke to each other before we recorded episode one. <laughs> Three random guys just connected one day and said, Vaughn, let's go record. <laughs> but yeah, I think that they, again, maybe they're just trying to create a little bit of mystery about those characters just to yeah. keep some things, uh, some things a surprise for the fans. I'm disappointed it's kind of not like um, the world is not enough when in certain countries they marketed like posters towards the characters. So like I think in Spain. Yeah, the individual a, ones. Yeah, Cigar Girl poster. Ooh, I want to get my hands on one of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, and who was the one that that was um uh it was just like a local thing wherever it was from the what i can't remember the character's name world's not enough the guy that pierce kills to assume the identity of before he meets christmas yeah yeah um he was like polish his own poster. or portuguese yeah. or yeah no i know who you're talking about um he was literally in it for like what two minutes before he yeah. gets killed um yeah uh yeah i i can't remember but we need those I'm these really looking yeah, I'm really looking forward to the Rulon Zhang poster for Clinic VIP guest for Spectre. <laughs> oh, he's he's he was really good in that film. Let's be let's be completely honest. <laughs> well, it's a she, so you just ruin the credibility of this show again. Or I know the spoiler and what really happens in the film. <laughs> um, just I won't say anything more. Uh, you can tell Noah's not here because uh, <laughs> we. We came into this episode, oh, we'll probably need about 90 minutes to talk about everything. We're just about on the hour mark. I think we're nearly done. Um, we, do we even mention where Noah was or do we not care? Like, like we've kind of got into this. Oh, Noah's not here. Let's get well, talking. <laughs> I mean, if we were to mention it, all of Snug would race to his gig right now to hear his band play. <laughs> yeah. But the real story is that they will be opening or, in fact, they're going to be the backing band for Sam Smith at the premiere <laughs> of Spectre next week. They're in the closing credits. You know, remember like in that... In the, that's you know period in the late 80s and 90s where that had the separate song at the credits instead of the um yeah yeah that's what they will be doing if you ask me to at the end of specter <laughs> oh an underrated bond classic um <laughs> now i mean i guess really the only thing um the soundtrack itself now uh we were kind of talking about this off air um i've read a few reports online that the actual sort of cd comes out on the 6th of november similar to when it comes out in the us and canada but um according to local cd retailers here in australia it comes out at the time of recording this tomorrow so i'm going to be venturing to these said shops tomorrow and seeing if it's there and um i was reading a few things about the the soundtrack i don't know how much you're into soundtracks colin um i've sort of developed a little bit more of a like of them since we've been doing this podcast but a few of the reviews were just kind of like oh very similar to skyfall but um apparently they're marketing it really heavily with instrumental version of writings on the walls oh it's what everybody's hanging out for aren't they so we will hear just one piano in the background and no vocals. Uh, <laughs> yeah. really, is there even instrumental of that? It, it's instantly better than the falsetto, so we can yes. just go with it. I think we should like uh, all dub ourselves over, but like you know, doing completely like tenor, like really deep voices. How do I live? How do I breathe? When you really do need to do that. Now we've said it on air, it will happen. <laughs> we will record our vocals to the instrumental version of "Writings on the Wall." Cause the writings on the wall. <laughs> How good would that sound? Um, but yeah, look, we'll keep an eye out for that. And um, just one thing, actually, I really quickly wanted to mention. I, I, we obviously get a lot of you know product placements in Bond films, but gone are the days we have these over-the-top marketing campaigns. Like I remember, you know, Pierce Brosnan would randomly be in ads for like Visa and things like this sort of stuff. And, you know, you'd have your... 
um, you know, Bond watches you can buy. Like, I know they kind of still do it, but it's very upmarket now because of how proper, proper Bond's become. But do you miss kind of these, you know, come to McDonald's and get your Spectre cup? Like, I don't think McDonald's ever did a tie-in with James Bond, but I don't know. Like, I miss fun things like that. They should. I mean, most movies don't do that anymore. I miss the days where I could go to Burger King and just get a Batman Forever cup or... Yes. Um, you know, Star Wars Taco Bell. I still have all the Star Wars Taco Bell Pizza Hut cups too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, even if it's not just like a kids thing like that, uh, I think the only big deal they made last time and it was kind of controversial was because Bond in one shot of the movie was uh, drinking from a beer bottle. Mm. Uh, they were like, Bond doesn't drink beer, but yet they did some type of commercial showing that, promoting whatever beer it was he was drinking. These movies, the only real product placement we see are Sony products. Um, let's be honest, he's got the Sony Ericsson phone, he's got a Sony Vio laptop, and that's pretty much it. Uh, I think that's one of the things with Sony owning MGM. They don't really need the product placement, but there's still opportunities for merchandising. It's just the serious tone of the movies makes it so that you can't do the cheesy commercials. But I'm a fan of, I don't even care how serious the movie is, you know, I'm, I'm sure they could find a way to market like a Burger King meal for Blue is the Lesbian Room. <laughs> well, I have a, a Sony phone. So does that make me James Bond? Like, <laughs> it's not a very good phone, it actually. Does. It's pretty shit, but um, sorry, Sony. Uh, if you want to sponsor Anybody <laughs> who has seen our website knows that we are James Bond. Yes. That's just a photo that we took, like, on a day off. Like, we were just like, yeah, hey. There's no, we need to Photoshop it so you have a Sony phone in your hand and not a gun. <laughs> Um, now, Noah sent us some messages of what we should really talk about, but I think we've covered most of it. He was like, I'm going to talk about it going over budget and talk it's about script. Yeah, well, look, I mean, you know, it's a movie, Noah. Um, often they go over budget and they rewrite scripts. So, Well, just really quickly on that, <laughs> as far as going over budget, I mean, it's called a budget. It's not called this is all you have, you know, and... <laughs> The two most uh, uh, highest, not going to say most profitable, but the two highest grossing movies in history are Avatar and Titanic, which went so over budget, it's not even funny. Uh, And as far as rewrites go, I mean, I think that mostly comes from the fact that there were, like you said, the Sony leaks last year, and there's details. And even if, like, here's what I'm convinced of, they would have rewritten it regardless of uh, whatever was leaked, just to make sure that the movie wasn't leaked. They're like, well, now we got to change this because it's out there. But let's look at the rewrites. I mean, how many movies are rewritten? Iron Man is famous for the first Iron Man movie that they were writing the movie every single day that the actors would come in and they'd have no idea what they were filming. <laughs> um, I mentioned Mission Impossible. The most recent Mission Impossible, which got the best reviews of the franchise, was heavily criticized because right before they started filming the climax, they said, we're scrapping the entire thing and rewriting the whole climax. It is just what happens with movies. Uh, every movie probably goes through more drafts than we're ever aware of. I mean, 9, 10, 11 different script rewrites. I don't think it's anything to be worried about at this point. Let's be honest. Uh, with, we recorded this episode about 18 times before we got it right. So Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Noah was in the first 17 versions of it, and then it just wasn't working. So <laughs> it didn't we work. Out. We just cut him out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with the, the running time of the movies, I think the only other thing to talk about is a long movie. But even just again briefly on that, it was originally reported that the movie was going to be two hours and 40 minutes or something like that. That's obviously been misreported because the running time is now released as two hours and 28 minutes, which, I mean, you know, the running times, I think it puts it as a few minutes longer than... 
Casino Royale. Yeah, I think um, was it Casino Royale or Skyfall went the longest one. That went for 144 minutes, I believe, is the longest before this. Or maybe on a Majesty's Secret Service was that 138 minutes. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a 144 minute film in there somewhere. I know that. Yeah, Casino Royale is 144. There you go. So this is only four minutes longer than Casino Royale, basically. So it's really not that long. Well, it's long, and people but... <laughs> do sometimes make a big. De- well, people also make a big deal about that. They're like, "Oh, this is this movie's so long. It's like two hours and twenty eight minutes." Um, the running time of Honor Majesty's Secret Service was pretty pretty close to two twenty, and the end credits for that are done in thirty seconds, whereas end credits now take up to ten minutes. So, yeah. the running time of the movie itself, it's not going to feel like it drags that much. I don't think. Yeah, uh, one hundred and forty four minutes. You are right. It is Casino Royale. Uh, Majesties is 142, and then you've got uh, License to Kill and Die Another Day, two of uh, Colin's favourites. Uh, oh. He had to sit through 133 minutes of those two. Wow, how the hell did you survive before Casino Royale? They were the second. They were the second minutes. longest. Wow. Oh my goodness, Skyfall. How long did that go for? Uh, 143 minutes, so uh, one minute one. shorter than Casino Royale. And Quantum of Solace, yeah. that's the shortest, isn't it? Did you? So Craig's been in the longest and the shortest Bond films of all time. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Book yeah, and it. I mean, again, it's funny that I've seen some people saying that the length of the movie is, you know, going to become a problem. It's like it's five minutes longer than the last one. It's four minutes longer than Casino Royale. Those movies didn't suffer, so I don't. I don't. People get, need to really just look the numbers. Yeah, I don't get people who complain about movie lengths. If the movie's enjoyable, what does it matter? Like you want it yeah. to be keep going. Like you know, I mean, people complain about Titanic. Did you get sick of Titanic? Probably should be a question asked you, Colin. You probably did because yeah. I don't think you like Titanic. But I love Titanic, so I didn't get sick of it. Um, <laughs> it's only a problem when it's Lord of the Rings. All right, there we go. okay we're just shitting over franchises right now um so i guess really in closing sort of before i mean colin's going to get to see the movie about a week before noah and i do um, because um the ridiculous nature of these film releases is that you know usually gone are the days where they don't stagger releases anymore generally now it's kind of everyone in the world gets it about the same time because of you know leaks and you know downloads and all that sort of stuff but Look, we, we are recording this. Let's date this podcast right now. We're recording this on, uh, well, it's ticked over to the 23rd of October. It's essentially the 22nd of October. So in four days' time, it comes out in the UK. Uh, now, Colin, you get it on the 6th, I believe? Yeah. Yep. And I mean, technically the 5th, because they do advanced screenings the night before. So have you, have you got your tickets for the advanced screenings? No, I was so wrapped up buying my tickets for Star Wars Episode Seven before it all sold out that I forgot about Spectre. So oh. I'll have to get on that. So is, is Spectre sold out? Do you know? I don't know. I'm hoping not. Um, I, I I don't know if I want to take up the time on this episode to check while we're on the air, but if it is, I guess I'm waiting till the 6th. Yeah, uh, it comes out the 12th here, but we've got a similar thing, so it's they're showing the 11th, so yeah, Noah and I are going to go venture along and see it on the Wednesday evening, which is a good two and a half weeks after the UK, so um, I mean, this has really kind of been our last opportunity to talk about it. We're, what we're going to do is we're going to come back, um, once we've all seen it, uh, Colin's just going to come on and do one by himself and be like, suckers, I can do an episode, you can't. Um, 
Um, and we're just going to kind of do like a, a reaction episode. Um, and eventually we will save sort of doing an actual film kind of, you know, analysis like we've been doing with all the films still post Blu-ray slash DVD release. So, cause I don't think any of us are going to be going into the cinema like the first time watching a new Bond film taking notes. And oh, can you rewind that a bit, please? I didn't get the ki- Was that a kill? Um, can you just freeze frame it there for a second, please? Oh, I don't know if you really killed that person there or not. Oh, please rewind. I think I heard him say Bond, James Bond, but it could have just been Bond. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, yes, that's what we'll do. And um, obviously a few things to come out of um, the Spectre, Spectre, Spectre film because this will be the last opportunity we can talk about a new Bond film probably for two, three, four, six years. Who knows? Um, (laughs) Lots of talks right now with the rights of it that apparently they could be going somewhere else. So, fuck, we could be waiting a long time. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We're all looking forward to it. If you're listening to this podcast, you're looking forward to it because you're a James Bond fan. And if you're not looking forward to the new James Bond movie, then go and listen to the Blue is the Warmest Colour podcast or, like, (laughs) I don't know, the... The latest fucking... What's a new movie besides Star Wars and James Bond that's out at the moment? I don't know. <laughs> oh, let's look. What's what's opening this week? Steve Jobs, Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension, and The Last Witch Hunter with Vin Diesel. Oh, and Gem and the Holograms. Great. All films I've been dying to see. Another Steve Jobs movie. Like, fuck, we get it. He was an icon. Do we need a movie every year about him? Uh- <laughs> You're upset about that, and I said Gem and the Holograms is out this week. <laughs> I don't even know who Gem and the Holograms is. What is that? <laughs> it's an 80s animated show about a girl group. I mean, I, I figured it was just your Justin Bieber love that you're totally into that type of music. <laughs> no, I can honestly say, until you mentioned it about uh, 60 seconds ago, I had never heard of Gem and the Holograms, so... <laughs> Uh, wow, we've started. Ben off- hasn't seen the original Karate Kid. He doesn't know Gem and the Holograms. What- Tasmania really is about ten years behind the rest of the world, isn't it? Yet I've seen Blue is the warmest color, so I know which film I came across with the biggest smile out of my face after I'd seen yeah. it. Um- <laughs> but um, yeah, bring on, bring on Spectre, Colin. This is this is fun. I I just wish I could fucking see the film already. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy seeing it a week before you guys, and uh, I'll try not to rub it in too much, but I'm still about two weeks behind the rest of uh, Bond fans out there. But I am happy to report that it looks like there are quite a few seats left for the IMAX opening on the 5th. Uh, If anybody in Winnipeg is listening to this, uh, please don't steal my tickets. I still have a few (laughs) minutes before these these expire on here, so uh, I'm going on the 5th. Uh, and for those listening in Hobart, uh, Noah and I are going uh, to the 6.30 screening in Hobart on the normal non-IMAX screen, because we don't have IMAX in Tasmania. There we go. We are behind. Um, so come along and sit with us, and we will, like, throw shit at your head or something. Um, subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, follow us on uh, Twitter. Like us on Facebook and stay up to date with it. Uh, our View to a Kill episode will be out very, very soon. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to getting into those Dalton films and recording them this weekend. Well, at least one of them. And uh, Colin's counting down the minutes to Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's trying to be busy on the weekends now. Oh, yeah, I can't make it. Yeah. Sorry. I've got to watch that 80s hologram thing. Um, <laughs> the holograms marathon is on. <laughs> Teletoon <laughs> Retro. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I guess uh, in closing, my name is Ben. I don't know why we're doing it this way again. And 
I didn't want to cut my wrists in this episode because I just stole what Colin said at the start of this episode. And my name's Colin, and I am not Noah Groves. <laughs> and uh, on that note, um, let's close it with Snug. Good night. Its name is Spectre. Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge, Extortion. The four great cornerstones of power, headed by the greatest brains in the world. I'm a member of Spectre. Spectre? Spectre. Spectre? Spectre. Spectre? Spectre. 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 Correction. Spectre. Yes, I thought I saw a Spectre at your shoulder. Spectre. Ah, it's your Spectre against mine, huh? Spectre. You are a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. He's everywhere. I thought there might even be a place for you with Spectre. 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 Of course. Spectre. The Spectre of Defeat. Welcome, James. It's been a long time. And finally, here we are. What took you so long? Goodbye, Mr. Bond. <laughs>